Did you know your daily routine could be the key to your next vacation getaway? NerdWallet helps you compare travel and cashback cards to turn your everyday purchases into your next unforgettable getaway experience. Traveling doesn't have to be expensive, and daily expenses don't have to get in the way of your next escape. Imagine purchasing food and earning points towards a free hotel room, or earning points toward a flight by simply buying gas. Regardless of your financial situation, the NerdWallet team will help you make sense of your options at nerdwallet.com. Get expert information from an award winning team of nerds to make even the most complicated money questions and topics easy to understand. NerdWallet's dedicated team will offer the tips you need to get that vacation you've been waiting for without breaking the bank. NerdWallet offers everything you need to make sound financial decisions while costing you absolutely nothing. Find the smartest financial products for you on NerdWallet.com or in app stores by downloading the NerdWallet app. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And good evening. This is really a different perspective, and I really am Kevin Randall. And I probably should uh, mention right off the bat that uh, my next book, which is uh, about the Socorro UFO landing, a contact in the desert will be out in just a few weeks for those of you who are waiting impatiently for it. Uh, that came to me as I was listening to the introduction here. I am joined by Peter Robbins. Peter Robbins is one of America's most respected UFO investigative writers. He has been involved in the field for more than 35 years as a researcher, investigator, writer, lecturer, activist, conference organizer, documentary producer, and author. That's an awful lot of stuff to be doing. A regular fixture on uh, the U.S. and United Kingdom radio, he has written for numerous online and print publications, both here and abroad, and appeared as a guest on or been consultant to numerous television programs and documentaries. Peter was a founding member of Bud Hopkins Intruders Foundation and worked as Hopkins' assistants for many years. In 1998, he founded the groundbreaking news website ufocity.com and served as editor-in-chief through its conclusion in 2004. From 2007 until 2010, he was a consultant to the city of Roswell, New Mexico, and a coordinator of their annual UFO symposium. In 2013, he was made a member of the French Academy of Ufology. I did not even attempt to pronounce that in French. And that same year, invited to give testimony at the citizens' hearing on disclosure held in the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Robbins was an executive event coordinator for the Sci-Fi Channel's Alien Abduction Phenomenon, a symposium organized to promote the release of Steven Spielberg miniseries Taken, and is an associate producer of the award-winning documentary Travis, The True Story of Travis Walton. I had thought when I read that it was going to be about William Travis of the Alamo fame, but it's actually Travis Walton, which is actually more appropriate, I guess, for ufology. <laughs> Peter Robbins was born in New York City, and we won't hold that against him, <laughs> and holds a BFA painting and film history from the city's School of Visual Arts, where he taught painting for more than a dozen years. He has traveled extensively and is an experienced New York City touring guide and an accomplished photographer. 
Well, now that we've read all of that stuff and given your introduction, we don't have any more time, Peter, but it was nice having you on the program. It's been great, Kevin, and I look forward to returning to the show at a future date. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. I mean, that just took forever and a week to, to read there. And, and it really kind of eliminates my lame question, which I only asked to a couple of people, which is how did you get involved in ufology? Uh, it, in my case, it actually um, is a real life changer, and it wasn't because of intellectual curiosity. Um, it was the honestly the very last thing on my mind. I did not grow up as a kid with any kind of interest in the subject. I had uh, more important things to do, like uh, collect stamps and bugs and rocks and be a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout and have a very sophisticated leave-it-to-beaver kind of childhood. And, but, and and talk about girls here periodically. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but when I was 14 and my sister uh, was just 12, we had a profound UFO sighting over the home that we grew up in uh, on Long Island, about 30 miles east of Manhattan. It was so shattering to me in terms of uh, disrupting everything I thought I knew that it ultimately became the repressed memory from my childhood, and I effectively put it out of my mind and went on with my life. And uh, more than 14 years later, it came roaring back. And um, that afternoon, I, I discussed it with my sister. We had not discussed it in those intervening years. And this goes back now 40 years, Kevin, to the mid-70s when um, the subject of abductions was really... Uh, not on the radar of uh, popular media and hardly of ufology for that matter. And um, my sister that afternoon told me uh, what now would be the most archetypical uh, memory flashes of an abduction experience that she had coupled with that sighting. And okay, let me, let me break yeah. in here because yeah. we're, we're running short on time in the first yep. segment because we had that long introduction yeah. that you forced me to read. I know. That... Uh, so we're going to have to take our break here. I will be uh, putting up more information about this at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com because uh, Peter had sent me an article that will deal with some UFO stuff related stuff that I'll put on the blog at, at that time. We will be back right after these short messages on a different perspective uh, with me and uh, my guest, Peter Robbins. So stick around. Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. And believe it or not, I am back with Peter Robbins. Before I went away, and took him with me, by the way, um, he was about to announce 
probably not for the first time, uh, an abduction experience that involved his sister. And I wonder if he wasn't involved as well. And we will find out more about that. Now, Peter, the floor is yours. Your sister was about to tell you about an abduction. Yeah. Um, at the time, I had never heard anything like what she was telling me. Um, and it was the kind of thing that I heard sometimes word for word uh, in the many years that I worked as Bud Hopkins' assistant in working with quite a few hundred people that seemed to have gone through archetypical abduction experiences. But at that time, it was all tremendously new to me. And um, it it rocked me to such a degree that my career, uh, as it was beginning as a aspiring painter in New York City, um, completely went off the rails, and I became obsessed with this subject. And well, let me the, let me break it. Let me break yeah, in here because I know yeah. a question everybody's got on their mind. Mm. Were you involved in the abduction as well? Well, that was one of the first things I wondered um, because I, I knew my sister uh, obviously well. Um, we were particularly close as brother and sister. Um, she had no reason to lie about it. And um, I became uh, just completely focused on what had happened to her. Um, within a year or so, I had met Bud. I had made some other contacts in the field. And I, at my own request, underwent hypnotic regression three times. Once with Bud Hopkins, once with another hypnotist, and once with another one of my mentors, a, a tough, no-nonsense New York City police detective named Pete Mazzola, who you may have a vague memory of from the 70s. Pete headed up an organization primarily of police officers around the country uh, in the 70s and 80s. He died much too young in 87. And um, he was specially trained um, through the NYPD to do hypnotic regression for criminal investigation. Absolutely nothing came up in any of those regressions nor did anything rattle loose in the many hundreds of cases that I assisted on. So I'm quite as sure as I can be that, no, I was uh, turned off or knocked out or however one wants to use a terminology, which is not that uncommon in histories of siblings or relatives or spouses or um, partners where one person is the person of interest and the other is not. Well, I'm just I'm going to just take it to the bottom line and says you're just not important enough. I know, I know, and I've had an inferiority complex ever since. <laughs> I mean, they did not select you. They cross yeah. cross literally hundreds of light years to get here. Yeah, as we and, Jews say, what am I, chop liver? Yeah, there you go, there you go. Okay, so your sister tells you the abduction story. It Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick. Sorry, kids. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Yes. Uh, fill us in a little of the details. Uh, yeah. You say it's archetypical, but yes. I think you, I know what you mean, and, and some uh, of the people will know what you mean, but you a bet. lot of them won't understand exactly what it is. So what did G tell you? Well, um, I should set it up to say that when I called her, uh, I had already thought this out. Um, I thought I was going crazy. How could somebody forget 
what in retrospect was as shattering a moment as they'd ever had in their life. The appearance of five silvery white, fully articulated, disc-shaped objects with metallic appearance over the neighbor's house in a very precise V type, V as in Victor, uh, formation, I might add. Um, and when I called her, I said I had had a memory come back from childhood. I wanted to know if she remembered the same thing, but I was concerned that if I simply told her, she would say yes or no, and I would never know for sure whether she shared that memory. So I essentially set the scene by describing the time of year, the time of day, the weather, where we were standing in relationship to each other on the front lawn, and she stopped me mid-sentence and then described to me what she had seen, which was for all intents and purposes, just what I had seen. And um, then she said a sentence that I will never forget, which was, but there's more and I don't know if you're going to like it. And then went on to describe literally lifting off the ground as a 12-year-old girl with her hair kind of blowing in the wind as she looked down at our house, getting smaller and smaller, and looked up at the bottom of one of these craft getting bigger and bigger with absolutely no fear, just a feeling of, of complete fascination and wonder. The next let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, yeah. let me stop you because yeah. the question that springs to my mind immediately is, could she see you still down on the ground? Yes, and I had actually passed out, or that's the only way I can see it. I had never passed out before in my life, but I was either, I was knocked out or passed out, but she saw me until I was too small, and the next thing she remembered was being walked through a curved metal hallway by a bunch of beings that she described in her 12-year-old terminology as little doctors with big heads and big black eyes who talked to her in her head, and one very tall one that seemed to be the leader. The next memory she had, Kevin, that she described to me was being on one of those ubiquitous metal tables with no clothes on, being looked at by these collective beings. And then essentially at a certain point being back on the ground and in her bedroom and, you know, later that day. Um, again, for me, this was, in looking back on it, I guess the greatest fork in the road my life had ever taken. I, up until that moment, I, I had expected that I would have been a painter or a sculptor living in a loft in New York, showing my work in galleries or if I had been successful in museums. And here I am talking to you about UFOs and having just uh, a few weeks ago been back in your old stomping ground of Roswell, New Mexico, and living this life instead of that life, in great part because of that afternoon. Uh, did she ever talk about additional abductions? Was there any kind of... Uh... I guess, examination made by UFO researchers, or was that just a story she told you and it kind of ended there? Oh, no. In fact, um, when I became uh, friends with Bud, she became friends with Bud, and he worked with her in hypnotic regression. They developed a, a very cordial friendship as well, uh, looked into, I'm trying to remember whether it was one or two additional uh, events from her childhood and one from adolescence. Um, but she became a, a fairly well-known singer-songwriter and remained a very public person on her experiences. She could have cared less what anybody thought about what she knew had happened to her. And I was always very proud of her. We lost Helen in January of 2000. But really, right up until she died, she was a very outspoken advocate for um, people who had had these experiences and, um, again, could have cared less what other people thought about what she knew had happened to her and has happened, as we know, to many, many other people around the world as well. Did she have conscious memories of uh, the abduction or did uh, it, was it ne necessary for hypnotic regression to be employed to, to learn the details? Great question. Uh, um, as I learned um, sitting in uh, uh, as a witness on more hypnotic regressions than I can remember over the years that Bud conducted, um, the misnomer is that people walk around with this vague anxiety uh, and they go see somebody 
who purports to, uh, you know, be an abduction researcher who fills their head with this possibility. And the next thing they know, they quote unquote remembered. No, Helen had very clear, partial memories and in fact discussed them with me that very first afternoon in that series of comments I just made and more. Uh, plus she did drawings from memory of what, you know, it would have looked like at the time from her point of view and looking at herself with these beings. What she was able to do in regression, which I observed quite a number of times and which is part of the way it is, is solidify and cement certain memories, having them reinforced, actual conscious memories, and retrieve several others. But it's not that often that somebody goes in with no memory and comes out with a complete memory. Uh, at least as often as not, there are partial memories. Well, I, I know in, in my abduction research, there have been any no number of instances where um, people have gone to the psychologist or the, hip, uh, the, the UFO researcher or whatever, thinking one thing happened and oh yeah like a presenting sign uh, uh, um, a screen memory we would call it yes and then other things emerge beyond it well but I, what i was thinking of is, is is some people have actually um taken memories and I, i'm thinking specifically of satanic ritual abuse here mm. uh believing that had what happened and they are now transitioned into an alien abduction and i think that one of the problems with abduction research is too often the operator, the hypnotist kind of um, force feeds, suggests, mm -hmm. implies, takes the uh, the subject into a direction that he or she wishes to go, meaning the operator, not the not the subject there. Yes. And, uh, did you see that much with much of that with with Bud, uh, kind of leading the witness into a specific arena? <laughs> Good question. Um, no, and I'll tell you why, as far as uh, I'm concerned, because Bud never did that. He would lead individuals away from um, a memory, and they would bring him back. Uh, also, for anybody not familiar uh, with Bud Hopkins, he is generally regarded as the founder of uh, the modern scientific study of the abduction phenomena in an organized manner rather than some kind of mystical study. And Bud did not just simply take a course or read a book about hypnosis and get started. He trained and then worked under the watchful eye of a master hypnotherapist, Dr. Aphrodite Clamar, who uh, observed and worked with him and oversaw his casework for seven years before he went off completely on his own. Uh, if, you know, a test question might be, is your shirt blue, is your shirt white? And if it's blue, lie and say it's white, and, you know, I will, the individual will bring you back to the truth. Um, there's no question that there have been unscrupulous or less than principled or amateurish or um, researchers, for lack of a better term, with an agenda who, for whatever neurotic reasons, feel compelled to prove or to push an individual to believe something that isn't true, uh, whether it's in uh, abduction research or any other area of study or clinical work that involves regressive hypnosis, it's wrong in every possible sense. But what I would occasionally observe Bud doing would be to lead the individual not away from not toward, but away from. I'll give you an example. Um, make about, it a quick one. Please oh, make it a quick one. You know one. what? I'm going to wait until after, but it is an example <laughs> of uh, somebody who did do what you're talking about, not because they were evil, but caught up in their own enthusiasm and their own obsession, and it was completely inappropriate, and uh, I hope they learned a lesson by what happened as a result. And I was going to say that in, in my research into the abduction phenomena, I found many instances where the operator was leading the subject to a point that he or she wanted that, that subject to go rather than allowing that sort of bubble to the surface. And that yes. caused a great deal of problems. Yes. We're going to have to take our first break, first break, our second break here. I am joined with uh, Peter Robbins. His uh, website, if I've got it right, is Peter Robbins. New York, um, should say that's uh, PeterRobbinsNY.com. You can take a look there. Mm -hmm. And I will have more stuff up on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And when you get a chance, take a look at X Zone 
uh, .net, that's xzbn.net for some of the other fine programs on the Exxon uh, Broadcast Network so that you can get a full range of looks into the paranormal from a lot of different perspectives, including mine. We will be back right after this with Peter Robbins, so stick around. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. I am back with Peter Robbins. We were discussing, for some reason, alien abduction. I say that for some reason because it was not a direction I planned to go with this conversation, but we've sort of ended up there. We've, I've got some other things that we want to talk. I've got an agenda here for the program. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not following it, but uh, I'll try to drag it back there. When we left, I interrupted you. You were about to talk about uh, some of the things you observed in alien abduction, and so I throw the floor back to you. Very good. Um, it's an example of what you were talking about uh, in terms of an irresponsible practitioner um, who um, either shouldn't be doing the work or hopefully learns from uh, being overenthusiastic and that may be being kind. To cut to the chase, about 10 years ago, I was in um, a developing correspondence with a gentleman in the United Kingdom. Uh, I will say that he had a responsible job in public service in his part of the United Kingdom. Um, he was the, as good an example of a lifelong abductee as I have ever met, worked with, or spent time with. Um, on background, before we actually met um, in Liverpool uh, about 10 years ago, um, he sent me and a well-known British colleague who I was networking with on this case um, copies of dream journals, drawings from memory, um, um, accounts of experiences, corroborations from one of his siblings. And at a break, um, a long break in a conference I was speaking at, my colleague and I met with this gentleman who had taken the day off, come in by train. We met over lunch and he gave us more material. Um, and my colleague and I agreed that he really did seem to be the real deal. We had asked him if he was interested in pursuing his memories under regressive hypnosis, which um, my first impulse is to say, are you really sure you want to do this? It may well result in unleashing um, painful memories or frightening memories. Have you spoken to your nearest and dearest? Have you consulted with people that you trust? And he was clear. He wanted to do it. And we found somebody that we felt was responsible, a clinical psychologist in London, who was a trained hypnotic regression therapist and who also made it clear that he took the subject seriously. Well, um, in, in, in referring people to professionals or alleged professionals, my philosophy has always been don't ask the professional what they thought of the individual, ask the individual what they thought of the professional, begin that way. And a week or so later, my colleague and I uh, were contacted by this gentleman who said, yes, he had met with the, uh, the psychologist. And um, we asked him, was his experience um, satisfactory? And he said with a certain amount of awkwardness, no, it really wasn't. Um, he was under, but not so fully that, you know, he couldn't appreciate what was going on. And the lead questions were fairly standard and appropriate. Um, describe what you were seeing, et cetera. And then at a certain point, he said, referring to a light that I was seeing in the sky, quote unquote, what did the spaceship look like? 
and he said, I, I couldn't go on. I, and we both, you know, kind of did face palms. Um, we contacted this, uh, therapist. He was absolutely, um, as embarrassed as he could be admitted that he not only took the phenomena seriously, but that he was obsessed with it, that he was working, um, uh, on a book about it, that he had made a serious error uh, in in his procedure, and we appreciated it and never referred anybody to him again. That is completely irresponsible and superimposing your own views, longings, fears, beliefs on a individual in a very vulnerable moment who may or may not have, you know, seen a spaceship, to use his uh, phraseology. In working one of the first abductions I had ever done, which was back in 1976, I think it was, mm. Body actually mentions it in his first book, mm. uh, uses the name I invented for the woman, which was Patty Price. I, oh, her my. name was Pat, okay. Pat Roach, but Patty Price was, uh, she'd actually written to me at Saga Magazine. Wow. Uh, because she, and she said um, uh, something about them coming into the house. And so mm. that would have been the first uh, mention of that sort of thing in the abduction arena yeah and i was working with jim harder on that oh my and what i noticed however years later i mean i was a neophyte in this and he was the hypnotic uh, regression expert yeah was that he led her horribly oh God. Yeah. into, into no. things and one yeah, of the this things this is not done, the first time i've heard that uh, about jim who um was a pioneer did some important work uh, after him, there was Leo Sprinkle, who I, I still have tremendous admiration and respect for and saw uh, about a year and a half ago for the first time in many years. But, um, yeah, for me, Dr. Harder, now deceased, um, really was overcome by his own enthusiasm and his own agenda. And that is and, and his shame. agenda his agenda was to to validate the Bowdy and Betty Hill abduction. Yes. And what I noticed and going back and looking at the transcripts and everything that I have of, of the um, encounter, yeah. we would, he would, he would have her under hypnosis and she would talk about the experience and then we would, you know, she would come out and we would go off and do other things and kind of talk about what had happened. Okay. And I noticed that during those sessions between the hypnotic regression, he would talk about things and that would appear in the next hypnotic regression session. And the prime example is, um, he said at one point that Betty Hill remembered being examined about that sort of a, 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 a medical examination. Mm. And the very next session, she talks about being examined by the alien creatures. I mean, he led her directly into that, mm. not during the hypnosis, but in the discussions between the hypnotic regression se sessions. And I, of course, didn't realize at the time exactly what was going on because he told me, sure. well, people can't lie under hypnosis. And we found out that that's certainly not true. And yeah. that they. Yeah, that's right. They, but, and the other thing is they can draw on everything uh, they've seen, whether it's movie footage or books they've read, they can draw on all those experiences, kind of lump it together. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed is I actually I did a book called Conversations. And it's about a woman who thought she had been abducted and her friends told her she had been abducted <laughs> and she was having all kinds of problems. And when I got involved in the investigation, I brought in a guy who knew hypnotic regression and we were very careful because we didn't want to lead her anywhere. Of course. We ended up with a past life rather than an alien abduction. Mm. And I'm still not sure if the story is true or not. Yeah. She was very sincere the nicest woman you'd ever want to meet and came up with these horrific past life experiences oh, about who Lord. she was and what she'd done. Interesting book. I, the book is wonderful, I think. And of course, I am biased because I wrote it. <laughs> but I think the story is interesting about yeah. that. So, I mean, they go into different directions, as you well know. Yeah. The, did did the, Bud have anything like that happen to him, come to think of it? Um, let me think. Um he may have. Um, I actually couldn't say, Kevin. Um, I'm remembering things mostly from, you know, 25, 30 years ago, uh, although we worked together until 2000. Uh, and he passed, of course, um, six years ago this month. Um, overall, I think what we're talking about is the every practitioner who does this work has to set the bar very high for themselves, hold themselves to 
not just a high scientific, but a high moral standard. You cannot fudge your work. You cannot push it over the edge because you know it's in the service of a noble truth. Um, if you don't tell the truth, you're a liar. Uh, it's something, unfortunately, we see peppering the history of ufology of well-meaning or zealot-type people who do cross that line. And it's one of the things, I think, that keeps the work, uh, for lack of a more descriptive term, as an outsider subject, not to mention that it's intimidating as hell for most people who uh, are... Uh, anxious about the implications of fully authentic anomalous UFOs. But the problem is, there are actually two problems. I can I can name any number of different people who have done abduction research who have taken the subject, meaning the person undergoing the hypnotic regression, into land he or she did not want to go mm. with their subtle questioning. And I remember that um, 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 John Mack had said that he found it interesting that Bud Hopkins got cold calculating um, aliens that David Jacobs got the hybrids and he got aliens with the Eastern philosophy <laughs> thinking it was interesting how the, 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 um, people came to, uh, the, the researcher who most matchly who closely matched their experience. And I kind of flipped it around and said, did, did it ever occur to John Mack that maybe it was because of the way the uh, research was being conducted by, by those three different individuals, Mack, well, um, uh, even though I, I didn't work uh, with John, uh, I considered him a good friend. Uh, he was kind and thoughtful and always overly respectful of me simply because I had the experience I had for the years that I worked as Bud's assistant. But I spent time with him in Boston as well as in New York, spoke for him, uh, his group at uh, Cambridge Hospital uh, in Boston. And one of the things that we did discuss very specifically was well prior to even the hint of any interest in this area of study, and we're going back to the 60s now, John had really lost faith in the Western philosophic model. And like many of us of a certain age, started to look to the East for potential answers, you know, classic sort of 60s kind of thinking. And by the time he did become engaged in uh, UFO, paranormal, uh, other intelligence research in the early 90s, he was looking consciously for in his area of interest was positive experiences that people had had, transcendent experiences, things um, that they got value from rather that they were anxious about. And that was not something that he hid. It was part of his philosophy um, where I think with Bud and Dave, they they did get these cases um, that you describe overall in those areas. Um, once they started to publish, yes, if I felt I had an experience like that, I guess I would seek them out knowing that that was their main interest or their main area of specialty. Um, as far as I could see, Bud really did him hold himself to a rigorous standard and um, never had cause that I saw to um, push a person to um, say something that wasn't so or believe something that had not happened to them. Um, again, with John, it was much more overt and his genuine outspoken interest was in the positive, in the transcendent, um, in things that could be of value to humanity in coming to grips with their situation here in this life. And certainly um, with issues of, of politics, interpersonal matters and in our relationship with the unknown. Well, the, the for those of you who are interested, I because. Somebody at uh, MUFON LA had asked John Mack this question specifically about the matching of the uh, the uh, uh, subject to the researcher. Uh, it's mentioned in Bryant's book, uh, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind. I think it's on page 234, but I'm not sure that Mack actually <laughs> makes that observation. 
Well, we're going to have to take another break here. When we come back, I'm going to put the question to you that uh, I think a lot of people want to have asked is uh, about your feelings of the Rendlesham Forest case mm-hmm. and where you are after all the research that you have done on that uh, mm-hmm. subject as well. Uh, once again, his website is PeterRobbinsNY.com. My blog is www.KevinRandall.blogspot.com. Well, there'll be more information up about this uh, in a matter of hours, I suppose. Uh, We will be around with Peter Robbins when you come back, so stick around. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. And we have returned. I just have an urge to tell everybody, Peter Robbins got mad at me and stomped off the set. I don't know why. (laughs) It's untrue, but I just had a sudden urge to say that to kind of... I guess, spice things up. We had been talking about abductions. I'm going to put the kibosh on that because I think I've had enough of abductions for one day. And I know that one of the questions people are going to have is you spent a lot of time investigating the Rendlesham Forest case from December of 1980 um, involving Charles Halt and John Burroughs and um, uh, um, um, what's his face? Uh, Penniston, Jim Penniston and all those guys. You're very familiar with the case. What is your opinion of that case in today's world? Mm. Well, no question about the fact that in late December of 1980, over the course of three nights um, in the Rendlesham Forest surrounding two uh, sister NATO bases, RAF Bentwaters and RAF Woodbridge, a series of incursions, events, uh, happenings relative to um, UFOs, and um, I am firmly convinced another intelligence took place. I think it's as important a case. And, you know, in, I catch myself using the word case. We have to remember when we use a dispassionate term like that, we're talking about an amalgam of human lives and life changing events and not necessarily for the good um, that touched all of the men and women involved. Um I certainly did put in my time on the case, um, beginning my interest in earnest uh, in 1987 and um, continuing uh, on and off through this past year or so. Um, I think it's right up there with Roswell and the other best, most seminal cases that we have. I think that... uh, The work will continue. Other witnesses will continue to come forward. Um, It has generated a tremendous amount of literature, of um, radio interviews, of monographs, of articles, of lectures. Uh, Unfortunately, it has also generated a huge amount of static, of disinformation, of personality conflicts, of incredibly bitter rancor between individuals, in part 
because of the uh, proven fact now that some of the material put forward by my former co-author on Left at East Gate, uh, a book that I still take pride in my parts of, um, have proved not to be true. And that is a shame and something that um, has made this past year as difficult uh, and as problematic a year for me as I've ever had in my professional life. But um, parts of the book that I co-wrote are not true. And that's something I have to deal with. Uh, the bottom line, though, is that it doesn't change the fact that the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident or the Bent Waters incident, as it's alternately called, is an incredibly important event. As you know, it's sometimes referred to as um, Britain's Roswell, not because it bears any similarity to Roswell, but because it is the best known case in the history of the United Kingdom. Well, you say that parts of your book are untrue. Um, that leaves it wide open for us to, to reject the entire work. Is there a way that we can filter out what is true and what is untrue about it? Well, I would say you can start by reading um, a long paper that I have sent you that addresses this subject that was posted online in a number of locations um, about a month and a half ago or so on, um, uh, no, uh, more than that, um, uh, on June 12th. Um, you can then, if you want to, read the book and note that there are several hundred footnoted, uh, fact-checked annotations that are mine, um, that I stand by 100%, that there is other factual material drawn from completely credible sources. The problems come with uh, parts of the subjective account of my co-author, and um, some of which I'm sure is true. I'm convinced of it. But now that, um, that some of the accounts that he's put forward has absolutely been proven to not be true or accurate, I cannot stand and say um, this part of his account is absolutely true and this part is not. I don't know. And that's my frustration to deal with. Well, I've had uh, Charles Hald on the program a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And he has a great deal of anger at your co-author. Yes, absolutely. And Charles and I have been in touch uh, uh, do, about this very issue. Do we know what has sparked that anger? Um, absolutely. That um, certain basic untruths... Um, I believed, and that I took uh, my co-author Larry Warren's side on um, for many years um, against Charles Halt. And um, over this past year, it has been a difficult process for me, uh, but a very real one to come to a point where I realized that certain things that I accused Charles Halt of being inaccurate about, I was wrong and he was right. And as I said, we have discussed this recently. Well, I know, and I, I had the same problem with the Roswell case. I had witnesses I believed to be telling the truth, and we have since found out that they were not telling the truth. Uh, Frank Kaufman's springs to mind immediately. Uh, tells a wonderful story, but it turned out not to be true. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I don't believe the Glenn Dennis tale anymore, based on some of yeah. that. But it's all traceable back to Walter Hott, which at that point, um, and I, and I discussed this at length in Roswell in the 21st century, yes. uh, but, but with Walter Hott, that undermines his credibility as well. Um, and it hurts the entire case. It does. This rancor between or amongst the various witnesses, it hurts uh, the Rendlesham Forest case as well, doesn't it? Well, you're absolutely right. And, um, I have to apologize, not just to Charles about that, but to, um, John Burroughs and to Jim Penniston about points of disagreement that we have had over the years where I was basing my understanding on information that I now know was inaccurate, but at the time I was convinced was accurate. And, um, you know, when you're caught in that situation, you can either <laughs> take the macho attitude of hanging tough and hope that people will forget about it and, you know, real guys don't apologize or absolutely correct the record in public um, when you need to and as clearly and as accurately and as in 
uh, hyper-specific detail as you need to and go on and hope that people will uh, understand, you know, the situation and that you were fooled. I know looking at some of this stuff, I mean, especially when we began the Roswell case, and I, I hate to say, you know, I was I was uh, in my 30s when we started the, the Roswell case and, and yeah. how naive I was at accepting some of the things that were being told to us. Yes. Uh, um, we were shown a document by Frank Kaufman that was supposedly his military records mm. um, that he'd faked. We, we finally went to get his military record and compared the two, and they weren't even close. He claimed he'd been a master sergeant. He'd been a staff sergeant. He claimed he'd had intelligence schooling. He had administration schooling. Uh, virtually nothing he said was, was true, and yet we had accepted that. Yes. Um, first on the word of Walter Hot, but because it seemed to be a, a credible source, and Correct. it just all blew up. So I understand yep. the problem yep. with that, and how people sort of, I guess, gravitate to the spotlight, whether they have anything important to say or not. They attempt yep. to put themselves in the center of a of an incredible story, and and I yes. say the thing at the turn of the last century there were carnivals all over the United States and mm. 15 of them had guys who claimed to be the real Jesse James. <laughs> you know that 14 of those guys had to be lying. And of course the 15th was too, but I mean, that, the point is you get yeah. caught up in that sort of thing. And here's a guy claiming to be Jesse James. Well, the carnival owners didn't care whether he was or not, cause he's bringing sure. people into the story. But if there's 15 of them, you know, 14 of them are lying about it. So yeah. I, it is, it's not a problem that's new. It's a problem we've, we've dealt with before. Well, well said, Kevin. Absolutely the way it is. And um, I just have a very short time left. Something, is there something important you want to say about Rendlesham Forest that we can do in a matter of a minute? Yes. Um, despite what we have just been talking about here, nobody should think for a minute that this case, this series of events is not singularly important in the world of legitimate UFO studies and of cover-up and the way that governments and intelligence communities work in obfusing, confusing, uh, look over here, not over there. The fact that there are problems with the case that have just been gone over does not mean in any sense that the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident is not worthy of respect study and continued examination as we move forward in this field. Peter, thank you so much for being with the, with us, with us, with me on the program today. You bet. I appreciate your in, insights into this sort of thing. Uh, if you will send me a link to that paper, I'll put it on my blog and we can probably find it at Peter Robbins, uh, your website. So people can see the paper that uh, kind of clarifies some of the um, Rendlesham Forest stuff. Uh, so thank you once again for being on the program. I hope we can do it again at some time in the uh, future. Absolutely, Kevin, and I'll get those links out to you this afternoon. Okay, and we'll get them up on my blog as, as well. Um, next week, I'm going to talk to Don Schmidt. I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Roswell Festival and what went on there. We're going to talk about uh, things that have been happening in the world of the UFO that um, some people may not be aware of. I don't know. Um, that sort of thing. Uh, if you want to get an idea of the problem I think we face as UFO researchers... Uh, one of the books you should actually take a look at, and I know I'm blowing my own horn because, frankly, I can, uh, is Roswell in the 21st Century. It lays out a lot of the facts and the things that were missed in the first takes of all those uh, books on Roswell and all that stuff on Roswell. So take a look at that. I will have uh, more information up with our with our guest, uh, Peter Robbins, here um, at my blog, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And take a look at X-Zone, uh, broad, the X-Zone Broadcast Network at xzbn.net. Uh, get a look at the other fine programs. I will be back next week, and as I say, it will be with Don Schmidt. So we'll see you in 167 hours. 